But today it is VE Day, the boys The newly crowned queen waves from the belt. Eagle has landed. Apollo 11 has landed. tearing down the Berlin Wall. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk. Hello, my name's John Schaefer, and welcome to Wealth Talk, where we take a look at some of the top stories on the CityR Wealth Manager site over the past month. I'm here today with fellow journalists Caroline Hug and Olivia Bibble. Hi, Hi. good to be here. All right, so Olivia, I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about FCA's latest consultations. The FCA has been getting tough on diversity in a misconduct crack- crackdown. Could you tell us a little bit about that consultation paper? That is- yeah, so this week the FCA published a consultation paper which set out proposals to burst diversity and inclusion within the financial sector. Um, It builds on a 2021 discussion paper where they explored whether they needed to make it explicit that adverse findings about individuals' conduct for issues such as bullying, sexual harassment, and discrimination should be a part of their fitness assessments. Yeah, so so why do you think it's doing this now? I mean, we're we're in a sort of post-OD world now. I mean, obviously that that court case has yet to to come to the fore, but... Mm -hmm the FCA has been scrutinized on its handling of, of OD. Do you, do you think that's essentially why they're, they're bringing it up now? Yes, in my opinion, it is. So in July of this year, the FCA confirmed that they were conducting an investigation into Crispin OD. For a lot of people, it's too little too late. Um, they have also said that they have been investigating OD asset management since 2021. And if this is true, um, how was OD specifically able to kind of circumvent these investigations he hasn't been notified by the FCA um, that he was in breach of any of their previous regulations. So they have been scrutinized quite heavily, I think, for their handling of it. And this new propo- these new proposals seems to be in response to that. This is only a consultation paper, so it will be interesting to see how firms respond to it. Um, it's a big step, as I said, for them to be bringing these issues under the remit of the regulator. But for instance, they said in in the paper that they're proposing to include guidance that not every instance of misconduct towards a fellow member of the workforce will amount to a breach of code of conduct. So they're already limiting themselves and saying that only very serious non-financial misconduct will fall under a breach of theirs, the FCA's code of conduct. So it's a big step to take, but at the same time, it, you know, it's only a proposal so far, so we'll have to see what the actual rules end up being. Sure. I, I want to bring in Situar's uh, own research on the Alpha Female Report. And, and actually, the FCA mentioned the Alpha Female Report mm-hmm. right at the, the top of this con- consultation. Um, I thought I'd br- bring Caroline in on this. I mean, you, you've been looking a lot at our own Alpha Female Report, and you've been speaking to a lot of influential women within the industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, what progress has there been made on, on, on women in fund management? Yeah, I think the main thing that we were all pretty disappointed by in the Alpha Female Report was that the number of female fund managers kind of went from 12% last year to 12.1%. And yeah. Wow. That <laughs> <what> a- <laughs> progress is shocking. Um, and 
as part of the Alpha Female Report, I basically had this roundtable with three female fund managers from Bering, Schroders, and All Springs Global Investments. Um, and I brought up the subject of discrimination and they all kind of shared their universal experience of attending meetings and being singled out for, you know, either writing notes or bringing in the coffees. Um, one of uh, the fund managers, Alex Stewart, she was talking about her name, Alex, and the fact that she often gets calls from people who, you know, are expecting a man and then kind of ask her if she's she's the, the person's secretary, um, which was which was quite shocking. Um, yeah, and then we were, I was discussing discrimination um, in another round table uh, with Fidelity International CEO Ann Richards and Hannah Smits from BNY Mellon. Um, and they did suggest that the industry obviously has improved. What I thought was interesting was they brought up um, the fact that the industry used to revolve around drinking a lot. Sure. Um, so, you know, boozy lunches, boozy lunches after work, etc. And this kind of led to a culture which um, might have enabled harassment to occur more easily. Um, a sort of boys will be boys kind exactly. of atmosphere. Yeah. But, you know, gladly, she, she has said that that has since improved. People are going out less for drinks after work. But Right. But, but I mean, I think fundamentally it's the, the, the result is that people are going out less rather than behavior has changed. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly the point. And I think that, that what Anne was saying is, you know, this is not just exclusively in the, in the financial industry as well. You know, it's indicative of a wider... I mean, I mean, look at media. We've had Russell Brand exactly. in, in recent weeks. So, you know, you, we, we can't just yeah. um, focus on financial services. It's, it's indicative of a lot of industries. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. The regulator seems concerned, though, and they expressed this in their communications on these new proposals that these kind of cultural issues and work safety issues are leading to a lack of new talent in entering the financial right. sector. Mm -hmm. um, so that is their kind of concern about the matter and that this decrease of new talent is decreasing the UK's international competitiveness. So essentially the optics are still really poor. Sort of women don't want to enter this industry because it has this image of a boys club and there's discrimination rife. Yeah, so I think that's kind of how the FCA has gotten gotten involved in, in that discrimination and um, sexual harassment is bad for finance because if there's no women in finance, that's bad for finance. So um, this is kind of the the wedge that they've they they've yep. entered on. But yeah, I think time will tell how effective uh, they are at managing it. Carrying on with the FCA. Um in your last Wealth Talks uh, discussion, we were, were speaking about the restrictions that the FCA has been putting on Raymond James. Um, there was this VREC voluntary restriction. And um, we looked at, um, you know, some of the causes at that point. But since then, over the past couple of weeks, we've been speaking to some people seemingly close to the business. Um, Caroline, what, what's, what's been the sort of word on the street there? Yeah, so I guess what we did touch on last kind of last month was what everyone was thinking. It was Raymond James's general business model. The fact that these wealth managers, you know, have the freedom to, to use either a centralized or, or decentralized model. And, that, and that's raised some suitability concerns um, because, you know, maybe the regulator is worried that there's no, no oversight 
as to what the individual branches are doing. Sure. And, and there were some concerns over things like tech as well. What, what did we find there? Yeah. So a few sources said that the computer systems um, were archaic and shocking. So one person even said that it's the worst computer system that they've used in 20 years. Um, and the problem with this is that there's not enough back office staff in place. Um, and and that, that's proving to be an issue, especially considering the onboarding of, of the Charles Stanley business. Yeah. And, and uh, something that, that you, you um, some of the people that we were speaking to are also bringing up the issue of um, custody of client cash as well. Yeah. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, um, Charles Stanley, the business that it's acquiring is essentially running client cash in-house. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And Raymond James previously in the UK was using Pershing. Um, seemingly, sources were saying that it wanted to move over to that internal model. Yeah. Um, I mean, Caroline, what, what are the issues with that? The regulator is obviously is not going to be happy with this move to a different custodian model because, um, you know, with the acquisition, Raymond James is a, a huge company. Um, they think it has a lot of uh, a significant influence and, and you know, runs a hu- manages a huge amount of assets under management. Um, so they're saying that, you know, the fact that this, it has this general business model um, and, these issues with tech, it might not have the right systems and controls um, in place to, to safeguard this client cash. Yeah. And so it brings up some some suitability concerns as well. I mean, if you look on, on the FOS database, there's a couple of complaints there. On their own, probably not an issue for the FCA, but it's all the mix. There's this tech issue, there's this mm. client cash issue, the general business model. Um, and it, it does seem to be a sticking point for Raymond James, and and it will be causing them somewhat of a somewhat of a headache. I mean, it, it's worth noting that we put all these complaints to Raymond James, um, and and they didn't really give much of a response at all. Um, it was sort of the, the generic response of when the the FCA restrictions were were put first imposed. Um, it is worth noting that the they are complicit with the FCA and they're, they're voluntarily going into these restrictions. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still a big big deal yeah. for them. Um, well, speaking of restrictions, Fidelity has been restricting some funds on its direct-to-consumer platform and most recently has barred the Crux European Special Situations Fund. John, you covered this story. What happened with this fund? Fidelity's direct-to-consumer platform has been restricting some funds. There, that's, there's no secret there. It's been indre- uh, um, restricting a couple of investment trusts Seemingly with the, the trust, it was re- restricting them because the charges were too high. Um, it, it appears to have a charge cap of 2.5%, and some of these trusts were, were going into the, the 3% area, especially ones that have private equity holdings. Now, this was slightly different. It's an open-ended fund rather than a closed-ended fund. Um, and seemingly, it was tr- restricted because of performance um, and not essentially delivering value for, for clients. Now, I spoke to Crux's CEO, um, Karen Zachary, and she did a bit of digging, um, and Fidelity told her that it was because of consumer duty um, and that this fund in question had been flagged on a value assessment report as a sort of red flag fund. Mm. Um, And it is slightly different from the other restrictions that have been put on this Fidelity platform. And, And seemingly... Crux was completely blindsided by this. They didn't know that this was that this restriction was going to happen, and they only seemed to know when 
we alerted them. I think what could be interesting here is that it could open the floodgates. So in isolation, it's one fund. But every other fund that's got a red flag and a value assessment could be restricted on, on this basis. It could set quite a serious precedent. Mm -hmm. So do you think this is maybe the first of many funds that, are, that Fidelity could kick off the platform kind of following the consumer duty deadline? Pot potentially. Um, you know, there are other things in the mix here. So mm -hmm. not only was performance not amazing over one, three, and five years, which CEO did admit, um, but it was managed by Crux's founder, Richard Pease, who had actually retired last month. And it's undergoing a man management change. Um, Crux is being bought by Lansdowne Partners, and a manager from Lansdowne Partners is, is taking on this fund. Right. Now, in defense of Crux, they might be saying, well, this is turning over a new leaf. This is a chance for good performance of the fund. This is a great in for investors. It mm -hmm. could be a new lease of life. And, you know, m maybe I'm in, a, in somewhat of agreement. I think, I think it would be fair to maybe put a warning on this fund to say, hey, this has underperformed its benchmark over a set period. Mm -hmm. But I think restricting the fund, I'm not sure if that's necessarily in the best interest of, of consumers. That fund in question, the European Special Situations Fund, was taken off Hargreaves Lansdowne, um, its buy list, uh, earlier, a couple of months prior to this, this restriction. Um, and I think that kind of mo moves on to Christopher Johnson's story on, on Hargreaves Lansdowne and, and, it, and its buy list. And, um, you know, he, he was looking at whether Hargreaves Lansdowne's buy list is, is still a big big deal for fund mm -hmm. firms. I do think it matters because Hargreaves Lansdowne has millions of clients. It's the, it's the biggest D2C platform. Um, it's a rubber stamp on those funds. When you're a retail investor, you don't know where to look. You don't know where to start, uh, you know, looking for a fund. There are so many funds out there. And this is a filter. This And, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a much easier way to start looking if you look at a list of 50 or so funds. Much easier. Now, I mean, in, in Christopher Johnson's interview, some of the um, people that were, were from the fund firms were, were a bit mixed in their views. Mm -hmm. So... I think fundamentally they think it's important to, to just be on there, really, yeah. rather than necessarily be on the on the buy list. It can't hurt to be on the buy list, though. Of course not. Right. Of course not. <laughs> um, but the Hargreaves platform specifically had a, a large role to play in the Woodford scandal. Do you think its reputation has recovered from that or can recover from that? It's been dented, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. it, it, it can't not have been dented. I mean... The Woodford funds were on the Hargreaves platform almost to the bitter end. Right. So it has to have caused um, so at least some raised eyebrows on on um, how much you can trust that platform. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people forget. And, and it's still a massive platform. And long term, will it have dented it? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I think it will, I think it will recover. And, and it... There is an, an element of a consumer duty angle here as well, because Cargreaves will always claim this isn't advice. Mm -hmm. But what is advice, really? You know, if, if you've made a list that's filtered and you're saying these, these are our picks. Yeah, is that it's a recommendation it's, at it's the very least. Well, well, they'll claim it's not. 
but mm -hmm. it's it's it, you know it's uh, you're getting to the edge there. You're getting to the edge. Yeah. And and re really in 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 recent years, Hargreaves has been trying to push its own funds. It's been it generating a couple of active funds, a couple of passive funds. They want to push them, of course, because they will make the most money out of out of those those funds. Yeah. Uh, and has Hargreaves been kind of criticised for the margins it's been making on those funds? Maybe not so much the funds, but the cash that's held on deposits. So it was making absolutely ridiculous profits in its in its most recent annual results. Um, and it was revealed that they were they were making a 15% margin on any cash that, that they held um, on the platform. Wow. Which is far more than was being made on funds. Mm -hmm. So this is a short-term thing while... Uh, you know, platforms can get away with the the margin difference between the the bank rate and what they're offering their clients, mm -hmm. essentially. But you know, I I, I think the the FCA will have to have a look at that as well potentially, and uh, y y you know, um, or or at least there has to be information out there to to say, hey, you know, you can get a better, uh, you you you're being swindled somewhat. Here. Mm -hmm. Let's move on, and uh, finally, I, I wanted to look at a story you did recently, Caroline, um, about Tilney and, and Smith and Williams. Another story. Yes. <laughs> uh, let, let, let's look at the the culture clash between yes. Tilney and Smith and Williamson. Um, you know, is, is that causing tension within Evelyn after this this new merger? Apparently, Tilney and Smith and Williamson, before they merged, differed significantly in in approaches to business. Um, and, you know, I was speaking to sources. So, so how, how would they differ? You know, paint, let's paint a picture here. What, what, what's the difference in culture? Yeah, here? of course. So I, there, there were two kind of main problems. One was um, the kind of research and investment process. So Smith and Williamson investment managers had this bespoke business model. IMs would conduct their own research and populate their portfolios and do their own due diligence. Um, whereas Tilney was very much financial planning led, they were increasingly looking to centralize their investment proposition. Um, and they had a central research team in London, um, but those roles were cut during the merger. And then secondly, um, you were looking into the pay structure as well. So Smith and Williamson were paid on what they managed and how they serviced existing clients. Whereas Tilney investment managers kind of focused on bringing in new money, growing assets, yep. they were super sales focused. Okay, Let, let's drill down on the, the research thing. So, so what's the current situation with the research function at Evelyn? Who's losing out, who's winning? Yeah, so, so Evelyn does have a macroeconomics team, but it doesn't have a dedicated central research team. And um, from, from what you know, sources familiar with the matter have told me, um, they kind of, Evelyn has adopted Smith and Williamson's model of investment managers doing their own research. Um, Tilney Wealth Managers, because they're not used to this, um, they, they kind of have less experience in fund selection, less confidence. Um, so now they can volunteer to do their own research, but of course, no one is doing that. So what seems to be happening is there seems to be a fundamental lack of research, a huge pressure to grow assets um, that is kind of dominating the need to, to, for investment managers to conduct their own research. Right. And some of those managers won't be used to doing research, right? Yeah, exactly. So it was the, the, the Tilney side of things. They, they're not used to doing their, their own research. Smith and Williamson, on the other hand, were. So Tilney was sort of more focused on financial planning in, yeah. in, in, instead, instead of investment management. Exactly. Right. 
And what about remuneration? What, what, what's happening right now? So from what I've heard is um, Tilney's kind of adopting this sales, sorry, Evelyn Partners is adopting this sales-focused bonus structure. Um, so it's very much about um, growing assets and growing client books. And this works well for younger investment managers trying to build their client books. Um, but, you know, a lot of investment managers who've been in the business for longer um, and already have this established big list of, of client books, they feel as though they can no longer service existing clients. They might feel this is unfair. Um, because they're being pushed to sell more. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some people will be happy with this. Some people won't. It's a problem that is frequent in the industry. Like, you know, I covered Investec. They seem to have a very similar problem months ago. Um, so, yeah, it's just the challenges of, of integrating a merger. Let's wrap it up there. Thanks for listening to the end. For all those stories and more, log on to citywire.com forward slash wealth manager. Since 1929, the Monks Investment Trust's mission has been to help investors grow their wealth. We aim to do this today by taking a three-dimensional approach to growth. Cyclical growth, rapid growth, and steady growth. The World Wide Web. Wall Street is in turmoil as stocks crash. The Monks Investment Trust, managed by Bailey Gifford. Capital at risk.